Swivel. From Swivel Media and the Product Bus, this is The Bootstrap. I'm Scotty Allen. When online product customization startup Treehouse Logic shut down in 2013, founder Dave Sloan said, Startups fail when they are not solving a market problem. We weren't solving a large enough problem that we could universally serve with a scalable solution. Wise advice. And yet, in 2023, the number one reason that startups fail is still because their product has no market for it. Why do so many founders and startup teams get this vital element wrong, and what can we do about it? This week, I'm joined by startup coach Matt Ainsworth to unpack the do's and don'ts of startup idea validation. But first, let's take a look at some things you should know. Here's the startup rundown for Thursday the 19th of October. Australia's e-safety commissioner has fined X, formerly known as Twitter, $386,000 for failing to answer key questions about the action the platform is taking against child abuse material, or CSAM. Back in February, the watchdog issued a number of notices to platforms including Google, TikTok, Twitch, Discord, and X under Australia's Online Safety Act, asking for answers to questions about tackling CSAM. In a press release, eSafety said that X left some sections of responses completely blank and others were incomplete or inaccurate. This is particularly concerning when you take into account that since taking over Twitter, Elon Musk fired pretty much the entire content moderation team and in December last year disbanded its advisory trust and safety council. Also, if you're interested in exchange rates, 386k Australian is around 250k US, so it's not even in slap on the wrist territory for Elon. In news linked to one of Elon's other ventures, Chinese EV startup WM Motor has filed for bankruptcy, highlighting the challenges faced by EV startups. WM Motor raised over $5.3 billion in funding, but in the end, that wasn't enough to compete in China's EV market after the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic and a new round of price wars initiated by Tesla. Remember, Elon has to save money to pay his bill to the Australian e-safety commissioner. WM blamed macroeconomic conditions for its demise. That excuse has never worked for me when I'm out of money, but it seems your mileage may vary. Two Australian startups have been selected as finalists in the Ocean Impact Organization's Ocean Impact Pitch Fest for 2023. They are Kelp Island Australia, which is pitching Seabrick, a kelp-based building material for maritime architecture that aims to reduce the construction industry's environmental footprint, and Washbox, a mobile tool wash system for construction trades that saves water and helps stop pollutants from entering waterways. The winner will receive 50k USD, with five additional cash prizes of 10k USD awarded on the night. And finally, don't you hate it when you have a great group shot but one person has their eyes closed? Well, that could soon be a problem of the past. The new Pixel 8 phone from Google now has Best Take, which allows you to replace a face in any image by grabbing faces from other photos you've taken and swapping them in. I assume that means faces of the same person, but who knows, it's AI. Much easier than having to Photoshop heads into pics, but another step towards us not being able to trust anything we see is real or actually happened. As the article from the Washington Post reporting Best Take says, first we had alternate facts, now we have alternate faces.
To help me unpack this week's topic, I'm joined by Matt Ainsworth. Matt is a startup coach and founder of Startup Founder Mindset, now based in Perth. His extensive experience includes working in the financial sector as a product manager and analyst, working and living in Tokyo as a corporate trainer in communications and business culture, and working in the Tokyo and Australian startup ecosystems. He's passionate about using his skills to help other new and early stage founders build successful businesses. So Matt, welcome to the Bootstrap. Thank you. Great to be on board. We're talking about idea validation today. Can you explain what that is and why it's crucial for early stage founders and startups? Yeah, um, it's a great question. And I think it's somewhat, something that people, I don't know if it's they pretend to understand or they, they know it, but they don't actually practice it. <laughs> and I guess from my observations, idea validation is really the crucial first step in the whole startup piece for a founder you know, really save as much time, energy, headache, frustration, stress in building, you know, product, offer, service, whatever it is, core offer, and really kind of getting out there, speaking to people, trying to kind of validate your niche, identify your niche first, and then speaking to customers, getting out to talking to people is really the kind of the first crucial piece that people need to be doing before they even think about anything in terms of their the product, what the MVP looks like, what the prototyping is. So I think that's a key first step. What do founders usually get wrong about that? What you're describing is the ideal order that we would do things in, but a lot of uh, startups happen in a more organic way where we kind of realize halfway through something that we have an idea. So what do founders often get wrong about idea validation? I think the idea of this is a little bit of you know imposter syndrome i think and perfectionism that comes into play where they're not happy with the version that they have in front of them and they think they can't show that to customers because it doesn't look great or it doesn't function the way they expect it to or so i i think you know realistically people need to kind of reverse engineer that think about what's the design what's the offer how is going to solve the problem and not even show that as an app, show that just as a design from Figma or a presentation, something like that, engage customers that way. Because then you're kind of saving yourself lots of heartache, lots of dollars, lots of time. I know for a lot of people, that's a hard hurdle or a hard pill to swallow, but just keeping that in mind, you can save potentially a lot just by speaking to them by high level kind of wireframe design or you know, just speaking at high level first. So I love that you brought up imposter syndrome. And I think that that, fear and perfectionism is something that really does hold us back from uh, sharing our ideas when we feel like they're not cooked enough, etc. And uh, it's a challenge, I think, in terms of employing the product mindset, because I often talk to clients about that difference between a product mindset and a project mindset, mm. where you know, in a project, you're preparing for something you want it by the time you show it off, you want it to be the best. You don't want it to be critiqued, et cetera. So you polish it, you know, behind the scenes and then go, ta-da, I made this amazing thing. Let's unpack that a little bit. Like, why doesn't that work with products? What is it about products as opposed to, to projects that mean that we need to, I, I guess, iterate more out loud? I mean, there's probably a few elements at play there. Like if it's someone's first stint at entrepreneurship or building a startup, you know, at the first, in the first place, they're coming at it from the point of view of looking at other people's apps and, you know, I've used apps on my phone before. They're perfect. 
So mine have to be the same quality or same level, mm. right, of refinement. I think the other thing too is that, you know, when it's your baby, when you've personally invested in something, you want it to be as great, as amazing as possible from your point of view. But you don't necessarily think about, ah, oh, is it good for other people? So, and that's how you can get the feedback in the first place, right? By before the development, actually talking to people about it. This is what mm. it's going to look like. Does that work for you? Like, is that, is that a good UI or not? Or is that yes. going to actually solve your problem or not? Do you, do you see people jumping too quickly into actual development in your work? Yeah. Let's talk about it this way. Like I've seen people actually go into the prototyping MVP development stage because they've done the market research, which means, okay, this solution doesn't exist in the market. But mm. again, if that solution doesn't exist, that's great. But have you validated yet? Have you identified if people will pay for it? Have you filtered down into see what are the particular problems that this solving for people? Do people actually resonate with this solution, right? So, you know, just because there's a gap in the market doesn't mean it's a solution that people will actually pay for or want to use. It's also easy to get positive feedback if you only talk about it in certain circumstances. You talk about your startup or your idea at dinner with your mates and uh, people are probably going to go, oh, yeah, that sounds great. Mm. But that's really different from the validation of would you actually use this? Would you pay for it? In, in your work, have you seen either some success stories in this space or some how-not-tos that you could share? I think if I draw in this kind of high-level example from Japan, this one guy I was working with, when Web3 was all, I guess it's still kind of the rage, but when it was all the rage a couple of years ago, when blockchain, you know, prices it's were all going AI through the now, roof. Right? Yeah, that's right. It's a, now it's that's all right. the AI. That's right. <laughs> but he was building a people, like an analytical dashboard for people for particular game developers within the Web3 space. And mm. he was getting, he was getting traction. He was getting a lot of interest, but it was at the time when I guess people were kind of talking talking bad about web three and felt like, oh, this is, this is the end of blockchain technology. And so even though he was getting traction, let's say, because of the outside influence of the media and the market and how people were talking about web three, he decided to kind of let that go and move on to something else. <laughs> so it's interesting. Some people can validate, but be turned away for different reasons. Yeah. At the same time, like I've, I've seen others where people, you know, develop like this amazing solution. This is their kind of lifetime work. They've decided to go out on their own and they think because it's so good, customers are just going to come running to them. I think that mentality is also out there in, in the world. So again, people really need to be thinking about first, what is it that I can offer? Does this addressed people's needs. And again, you know, we're going back to the same, I, I sound like a broker record, I know. No, no, but, I think you have to with this. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> but it's really important just to get out there, speak to customers. I think even that is kind of daunting for some people if they haven't done it first, you know, hadn't done it before in their life, right? Um, but the tools we have available to us today make it less daunting. Like you can get on Facebook and send someone a message or you can set up a survey online within a group, or you can go on LinkedIn and talk to people. Or you can even get on Reddit, for example. So I think there's a lot of avenues which make it a little bit less confronting, a little bit less daunting, but people need to kind of learn to get used to using those tools to their advantage as well. Mm. Yeah. So let, let's talk a bit about that. What are some practical strategies that people can use, uh, particularly on a budget? Because that's 
the audience that we're talking to is we're right at that start. We don't have the money to go out and engage a market research firm. So what are some inexpensive ways of, of doing that? You've just, you've started the list, so let's unpack it. <laughs> sure. I mean, there's pros and cons, right? You, you already mentioned about talking to family and friends. Potentially people are going to give you the answers that you don't want, which is just, I love you. This is how I feel about the app. <laughs> right? But in, in saying that, it doesn't, I think it doesn't hurt to actually speak to the you in a circle as well, because I think there's some value there. Like, I think you've just got to pick and choose the right people who will actually be honest with you and actually give you feedback that is relevant and matters, right? But beyond that, Facebook doesn't cost anything. LinkedIn doesn't cost anything if you don't pay for any of the level up services. Um, Reddit's a free tool as well. So get on there, register yourself, like build a profile if you don't have one already. You know, there's so many Facebook groups and LinkedIn groups out there that you can kind of engage and take advantage of. I think that's the first step really mm. in kind of testing the water. And, and, that, and people too, mm -hmm. I, I find quite surprising when I first entered the founder and startup community, that in the right context, people are really keen to give help and constructive feedback. Certainly, you, know, you can find pockets of the internet where it's not going to be as useful. I would, I would put a caveat on an asterisk on Reddit you know, in, in that sense. It sure, <laughs> depends sure. on where, where you land. But definitely, if you find you know, communities where people are prepared to share, people are quite generous. And people, you know, happy to jump on a call, you know, for a moment, give you some feedback, et cetera, which is incredibly important. Yeah, I think so. I've seen the Sydney startup Facebook group, for example, which is probably the most active one in Australia. I see people posting up ideas, talking about their, um, posting surveys on there all the time. People are fairly receptive there. Um, mm. But if you want to go deeper, because potentially surveys are not enough, don't go deep enough. I think find your niche, find that particular, let, let's say, um, so I know one guy in Japan, he's bringing his dream drive, like camper van over to um, Australia. He's an Aussie anyway, but he wants to bring it to back to his kind of local market. And if he was to engage potential customers, he would, he could go to the recreation or the outdoors or the, the camping groups on Facebook potentially. And they would be like the perfect groups to get feedback on. Would you buy this? How yeah. can we customize it better for the Australian market? What features are you looking for, et cetera, et cetera, right? So yeah. you could also go deeper, finding your, your actual niche where your customers, potential customers will hang out, will be living and go and talk <laughs> to them and get real honest feedback. That point that you just mentioned, I think is, is really important because getting honest feedback is crucial, but it also you really have to structure your questioning to elicit that. So I'll give you an example. One of my clients, I organized some testing for really informally got a few people to test his app and it was great. And he walked out excited because people responded to it. Mm. And we caught up the next time. He said, oh, it was fantastic to see that they, they really loved it. And I said, how do you know? You didn't ask them. You didn't <laughs> ask them. So what don't you like about this? Mm. Would you use this? Would you change your behavior to use it? You asked them, well, actually, you didn't ask them many questions, but, you know, you only asked them questions that you wanted to hear the answer to. Yeah. And, it, you know, it is that that piece of being so passionate. And like many founders, if he wasn't passionate about his work, then it wouldn't be happening. Um, he wouldn't have the, the resilience and the persistence if he didn't have the belief in his yeah. idea. 
But one of the most valuable pieces of feedback that you can get is, you know, we sometimes call them objections. It is what's the thing that you like the least about this? What is something that would actually stop you from using this? And then even really base questions of would you pay for this as well? And that's something that often surprises me when I hear pitches and see things that can be quite advanced in terms of development of designs, a product, et cetera. And then when you ask those kind of important questions of, so how does this make money? Um, <laughs> sure, you know, sure. who, who will pay for this, et cetera? And they're like, oh, we haven't really worked that out yet. So, you know, what what are some strategies that yeah. you would suggest in, in that space in particular, in terms of really finding that, you know, whether you want to call it market fit or market positioning down to, is this actually worth doing? Mm. I think the other thing too, if you're going to do a survey, for example, like don't just say on a scale of one to 10, how do you feel about this app? Because you're not going to get anything material or valuable for, from that. Like it's got to be open answers. You've got to actually find if you want to ask for a score, but people need to give some kind of reasoning or valuable feedback or valuable kind of ideas behind it. Otherwise having just a score alone is not going to help anyone. So I often try and break it down to what's the behavior change that we're asking people to make in actually adopting or using this product, because it's one thing to say, oh yeah, this is a cool app. And it's another thing to say, would you use this in place of an existing tool that you're using? Or if we're thinking about like a B2B solution, will you actually be prepared to put the work in to change systems to use this thing, which is different from, oh yeah, it looks nice. And it's easy to use. People will keep using things that are hard to use because they don't want to change or they don't see the benefit of changing in that sense. So one of the things that we talk about often in this journey is working out when it's time to persevere or pivot. So mm. when uh, we're getting feedback that says, yeah, we should keep going with the existing idea, or we're getting feedback that says, this isn't quite it, we, we need to make a change in some way. What are some ways that founders can identify when it's time to pivot or persevere? Yeah, this is one of those answers is how long is a piece of string, right? Like <laughs> <laughs> when to pivot. I think founders need to think about it from a product management point of view, but also from an entrepreneurship point of view as well. So obviously founders, when they're acting on by themselves, sometimes they wear their product hat, marketing hat, et cetera, et cetera. But financial budgets have a limit. Passions have a limit. Time has a limit. From a higher level point of view, they need to be considering all of these things at the start. If they're going into debt to try to fund this um, initiative or passion project that they're working on, potentially it's time to pivot because you've got to pay for rent, you've got to pay for your family, you've got to pay for food, you've got to, like, if you're not providing for that, then what's the point? And mm-hmm. if you want to see it going, then fine, but just maybe put it on hold, go find a job. And, you know, you can go find part-time work, freelance, there's so many options out there right now, right? So from a higher level point of view, like, I think that's what people need to consider. Once we're delving deeper, and again, broken record syndrome here, is once you figure out, is the idea going to match the market? What's missing? What's the gap? What I, what I use with my clients is kind of this, this problem, desire, and gap analysis in the middle. So it, they could use that potentially to, for their own solution to identify, is this going to address the pain points of my customers or not? What is the gap? Hmm. How do I need to refine it? How do I need to pivot? How do I need to change? So hmm. 
from an entrepreneurial point of view, I think they've kind of got two, two core hats to wear. They've got the you know, business hat to wear to think about high level, um, how long can I continue? But also when you're wearing the product hat and going into the like deeper conversations and looking at the product itself or the service itself, like, is this a match or not? Hmm. You mentioned something before about testing, getting feedback based on some designs, some Figma. Have you seen people get too far ahead of themselves in terms of what they're offering based on just some simple designs, et cetera? What are, the, are there any caveats to that sort of method? Yeah, sure. I mean, obviously the same thing can kick in from a perfectionist point of view. Like you can like imagine or dream up these amazing looking UI, let's say samples self, but I guess it's kind of also dependent on your skills to be able to design those in the first place, as well as what you promise in your offer too. Right. So um, people still need a real, a little bit of a reality check to ground those kind of things. And I think this goes back to your kind of point about, okay, maybe family and friends aren't going to give you valuable advice, but if you can identify the people that will, maybe it's good to seek them out first and get opinion from the, your inner circle, let's say, the people that you trust on these ideas, on the solution first, because that could help you to think about, you know, is this realistic or is this kind of something that's going to cost me a fortune? And it's not viable. It's not realistic. So... Getting as much feedback mm. as possible really is going to help, I think. When people say, oh, we've got a Figma, I have always this moment of trepidation of, okay, do you understand, you know, yes, you've got designs, do you understand how it works? Now, I've, had, I've had something recently where I looked at something and I was like, this looks killer, I love the way that you're mm. representing the data here, etc. So what is behind that? And then the answer was, Oh, well, the UI designer did that. Like, we don't really know how that would work. And then I'm yeah, like, yeah. Oh, that, then that's not, that's not a thing, right? Yeah. So it is that. And I think sometimes for uh, non-technical founders as well, you can build things in, I'm not meaning to pick on Figma here, you can build working clickable prototypes in lots of ways that can be deceptively feel like a product when they're actually, they're not the product yet. Right? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. But absolutely from that point of view of, before you go off and develop something, having something to be able to show people of this is what you're thinking of, I think is really important. Then also the need, there is a need, I think, to be transparent about where it's at as well. Um, I have seen things pitched to me where you, know, you have a website with some screenshots that look like this thing already exists and you have to really pick into like, oh, well, we haven't built it yet. This is just some designs, right? Yeah. So I think that can be a bit of a trap. I think also one more thing, founders need to do, especially when they're thinking big picture, is really get a quote for the development costs. Oh, you're so practical. <laughs> obviously, <laughs> obviously, there's a lot of low code and no code options out there, especially for the non-technical founders, right? But I think it's important for them to also engage or understand, you know, what does level one iteration look like? What does level, level two iteration look like? And fine, maybe you're not going to get it right. Maybe because it's just based on your initial assumptions, you haven't got feedback yet, but it's still important to do that research, take those initial steps so that you have a, a good vision, like a good overview of the project and what it's going to cost you in terms of time, effort, money, tears, and the rest, yes. right? Yes, so, for sure. Mm. And that runway that you mentioned before, you know, in terms of knowing where the budget is at, when you're going to run out of money, how much exactly. time you've actually got to work on it, you need some ideas there, right? 
Uh, thank you so much for taking that time. Do you, is, if you were going to leave people with just one thing to remember from all of this about idea validation, what would it be? And this may sound a little bit from left field, but as entrepreneur, the journey is lonely, right? I think the more you can find other people in your situation that you can network with, I think that's the most powerful way to share ideas, insights, pain points, and all the rest. Because I think together, you can build a better startup from you know, networking with people, right? Understanding essentially what other people have been, went, went through to build their app or other people have done to kind of reverse engineer, if they build the MVP mm. first and validate it. I think um, people need to get out of their silos and network, um, let's say horizontally and vertically as well. So like with other founders as much as possible, you know, find a community and that's the best way to really help because, you know, even through other founders, you can get validation for your idea, get feedback, right? Because mm -hmm. especially for the more experienced guys who've been on before, um, you know, usually people are pretty open to, to share knowledge and ideas and insights. So yeah, I would, that would be my go-to number one, go-to. Uh, that, that's fantastic. And I think that really mirrors one of the main things that I say to people is you have to be constantly talking to people about your idea because the longer that you sit in a silo working on it, the rustier your grasp of what you're doing can get. You need to be kind of sharing the elevator pitch over and over because I've had I've done this where you know what you're doing, you go away and do it for a while, and then someone asks you what are you doing, and suddenly you're like, oh my god, I don't make sense anymore. <laughs> this isn't you know, listen, forget it, forget it doesn't make sense to you. I can't even articulate it. So being constantly running that past other people so that you can mm. refine it, but also to get their feedback. And I think that's where people in our community can be, you know, like you said, really generous in terms of giving robust, but helpful feedback. Yeah. Fantastic. And I think you know, taking someone out for a coffee um, and then asking them for their insights, like people actually sometimes feel like, oh, he's asking me. So, <laughs> and they can get a free coffee out of it too. Man, so. 100%. Well, I think free coffee is a great note to end this on. Matt, thank you so much. No worries. Uh, thanks for your time. And yeah, I appreciate the opportunity to speak as well. You can find out more about Matt Ainsworth and Startup Founder Mindset at sfmindset.com. And that's it for the Bootstrap for this week. New episodes are coming every Thursday, so don't forget to subscribe or follow the show wherever you listen. And we'd love you to help get the word out by telling other people about the Bootstrap. And if you feel led, leaving a positive rating and review to help others find the show. We're working on our social media presence, but for now, you can find the product bus on most platforms and interact with the bootstrap posts there. We'd love to hear from you. The Bootstrap is a production of Swivel Media and the Product Bus. It was developed by me, Scotty Allen, and Declan McGee. This episode was produced by Declan McGee with assistance from Sammy Perryman. Sound design and mix by Rob Clark. If you're an early stage founder looking for resources and practical help, check out theproductbus.com and get in touch. Swivel.